On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Rachel Kohler-Croft. Rachel is a novelist and a WGA award-nominated screenwriter in Los Angeles, where she has scripted projects for Bloomhouse, Sony Pictures Entertainment, and Comedy Central, among others. Stone Cold Fox is her debut novel, and it is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women. Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Great, great. So we want you to tell us a little bit about this novel. Why don't you do that first? Tell sure. us a little bit about um, Stone Cold Fox is about B, a very ambitious young woman, um, the somewhat reformed con artist, <laughs> a daughter of a con artist, and she aspires to marry into the 1%, the uh, a very eligible but very boring rich bachelor, <laughs> Colin Case. And because she's a total bombshell, she doesn't foresee much challenge in getting the ring from him, but she knows getting the approval of his 1% family and inner circle is going to be perhaps a little more than she bargained for, especially when she meets his childhood best friend, Gail Wallace Lester, who will mm-hmm. stop at nothing to take B down. Oh, <laughs> we love, love that. it. Yeah. So, so I, we're going to talk about B in the book and so much, but I first want to ask you, because I just had a friend uh, who launched her book this week. And she is a productivity machine, but she has been distracted, to say the least. How are you feeling as you ramp up? I mean, this episode will come out when the book is already out, but right now you're in that ramp-up period. Are you sleeping? Are you working? Are you doing anything but thinking about your um, book? My sleep has honestly been terrible, and I'm usually a very good sleeper. I think I just, I've been telling my husband, I feel very like, and I don't want to say overstimulated, but I'm just like constantly yeah. stimulated. Because I love all this. I'm very excited. I wake up every day and there's like something new. Someone's tagged me on Instagram or there's a review online. Like it just feels like every day something wild and exciting is happening, which I really enjoy. Um, But it is very much affecting my sleep. Um, As far as my work goes, um, I've actually kind of blocked off this time to be free and enjoy it. So um, I wrote the first draft of my second novel last year and I gave myself this deadline about wanting to finish it by the end of December. My husband and I did a lot of traveling in the back end of the year. And so basically all of December, I just like really buckled down and finished this draft. And it felt like we skipped Christmas. I was like crying every day. I was like very focused, but I knew it was a gift to my future self to get this done. And then I can enjoy Q1 as we're calling it. Mm. And just like soak in the book release and all of that stuff. So while that was, very challenging to do. Um, I do thrive with like a, a harsh deadline. I'm, I'm sick that way. <laughs> Love it. Oh, you're talking to two people who are the same creatures. So uh, yeah. you won't get any funny looks or shame here. No, no. No. And that was just smart. That was strategic. I think that's good. And now you get to really soak all this in. 
and this story. I mean, so we, we have to get to B because we are a podcast that focuses on complicated women um, and they don't get much more complicated than B. So just start by telling us, you know, what inspired her or what challenges you face in writing her. Where does B come from? B, I'll, I'll cop to it. B comes from the dark side of like my best girlfriends and me. Her voice kind of came to me first. I was just kind of mm. riffing when her voice came to me and I was like, oh, because a lot of times I'll think of a character and my first thought is, is this, uh, is she someone for a TV show or a movie? And I've always wanted to write a book. And because I was having so much fun playing around with her, I'm like, maybe she's my book. And I just kind of leaned in to the snark that some of my friends and I have, because I knew I was going to make her polarizing character. I think that's interesting and fun, but I knew if she was funny, whether people liked her or hated her, they were going to want to hang out with her because people love funny people, even if they're monsters. I mean, Bravo has made an entire (laughs) for that. So I just wanted to make sure that B was funny, even through all of her nefarious deeds. And, you know, the the first draft of her was pretty, I don't want to say, it was just very concise. I am a screenwriter by trade, and so I just write very sparsely, at least my first go-round. And so when I shared the first draft with my agent, it was very much about Bee and Gail and Cat and Mouse, and all of those things were present. But her mother was kind of an afterthought. Uh-huh. Like, it was, mm. she was mentioned, but she wasn't as big of a role as she plays in the finished copy. And my agent said, um, I love this. We have some work to do. But did you realize you wrote a novel about a complex mother-daughter relationship? And I was like, oh, shit, I guess I did. <laughs> so when I went back in, it actually just made these characters so much richer and so much more fun yeah. to play with because... I don't fault her for the things she wants in her life. Because at the end of the day, what she's going for, it's not really about the material things. I mean, we all like the finer things who can blame her. But what it actually is, is like safety and security Security. and finding this part of her life where she can finally get some peace, considering she didn't have that at all growing up. Yeah. 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 Well, you've... I'm going to dig a little deeper for my next question then because that was where I was going with it. I think um, comparisons will be made between B and kind of the ruthless ambition of uh, Jessica Knowles' Annie Finelli or the con mm-hmm. skills of Anna Delvey. But what makes B so distinct is that mother dynamic. And, and we get to see so much of that. And B has learned this behavior that she's using from her mother, but she also doesn't want to be her mother. So she's in that feeling like catch 22, kind of always pointing out their differences. And but the scenes that are B in her childhood gave her a real vulnerability that we could hold on to. And there's one uh, where she's getting ice cream with her mother's new target, I mean, boyfriend, and he's encouraging (laughs) her to kind of go wild and, and have whatever she wants. And you write, mother waits outside to see what decision I'll make without her physically looking over my shoulder. But it doesn't matter where she is because she's always in my head. Yes, I want the chocolate ice cream with hot fudge and rainbow sprinkles like a normal girl. But I want mother's approval more. I'll have the lemon sorbet, B says, because I ache to pass her tests every single one. Those moments really make her come alive in a different way. So what did your agent see in that draft and what did were you then tasked with bringing out with B and her mother in that dynamic? Yeah, I mean, I think when I went back to think about mother, I wanted her to be 
scary and unpredictable. Um, but I also wanted, obviously it's a heightened situation <laughs> with B and her mother, but I think everyone has memories, especially girls growing up where maybe their mother hurt their feelings and there are things <laughs> mm-hmm. that stay with you for literally the rest of your life. Even when you have a good relationship with your mother, which I have a good one with my mother, but I spent a lot of time, especially in junior high, like that kind of age hearing some of that stuff and you just don't forget it and you internalize it. And I, when I was going back to write these flashback scenes, I wanted them to be these like vignettes of these pivotal moments and memories that B just always have has of her mother while illustrating like her present day story too. Right. Right. But there's even another one. I think it's when she's in the Chicago area where B starts to notice her mother becoming potentially jealous of her mm-hmm. because now she's 15, 14, however old she was and noticing how her teachers are different around her. Boys are different around her. Grown men are different around her. Like that guy, Mike doesn't do anything explicitly lecherous, but she can feel how he's looking at her. Yeah. And I think we all have that memory of being 11, 12, 13, whenever it was where you notice that shift and you're yeah. powerless to stop it. And then someone like B who is just, stunningly beautiful every single day of her life and how she had to move through the world with everyone looking at her and wanting different things from her. I just wanted to make sure that people understood why she is the way she is and maybe don't blame her for it. Some people will. I mean, some people aren't going to like B and that's fine. Um, I like B. I I love um, B. And and it is that texture that you've given her that makes me understand her. I I like, I would have liked her anyway, been like, you know, I want to go get a drink with her. But now, you know, with the way you built out her character, I understand her so much more. I want to like get on the couch. Like, let's talk about this stuff. She just needs a girlfriend. And that was like one of the things I loved writing. I don't want to spoil too much, but she meets this woman, Syl, Mm -hmm. and their burgeoning friendship was really fun to write. Because I just think B could have been a totally different person if she had a different upbringing. I mean, even the fact that like her ultimate goal is to marry up and marry rich, which I totally get why she wants to do that. But I think if she like channeled that energy into something else, like I think B could be anything she wanted to be, but she just is a product of how she was raised. And um, I just, I have a lot of compassion for my little monster. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So you mentioned Gail and sort of the cat and mouse between them. Mm -hmm. And there is a face off with Gail (laughs) in the bathroom, which we just dubbed an iconic scene. Um, So we want to read a little bit from that and then talk to you about it. Uh, My innocent jousting with Gail was different from Mother's because I actually enjoyed keeping a female nemesis, whereas Mother largely maintained a safe distance from other women, finding them far too unpredictable. So true, and the tragic cornerstone of the appeal for me. See, men are so much simpler to bat about like a cat does a mouse. It's not difficult to decipher what they really want, generally power, money, and sex. But women and their ambitions are much more complex, more layered. So, so good. And so much of what we talk about on this podcast. And just so tell tell us about um, that scene and writing that and, 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 and her and Gail. I love writing B versus Gail scenes because they both (laughs) underestimate each other. They're both really smart and they're both really funny, but in entirely different ways. So 
even when I would go back for subsequent drafts, I would always like hone in on those. I'm like, how can I make this even like juicier? Because I think even though I don't like Gail, to be clear, some people do, I don't, but I wanted her to feel very three-dimensional and real. And if someone did connect with her, I wanted them to be able to root for her. Because there is a universe where this book is told from Gail's perspective and it's totally different and people could very much be rooting for her. So I just wanted to make sure that even though we're in B's head the whole time, we still see Gail's three-dimensional self. Um, But yeah, because I think for both of them, it's not actually about Colin. You know, you see what the synopsis is and all these things. And I think people could easily assume, okay, it's just about like these two women fighting over a man. And he's obviously part of the story. But I think it's just this entitlement that both B and Gail share in different ways. Like Gail just does not think B belongs in their circle. She has no business being there. It's all about, you know, being born into this. It's her birthright. Whereas B thinks she's entitled to it because she had this horrible life and Colin's a perfectly nice man and he has a lot of money and she won't have to worry about anything. So just having those like two women come from totally different poles and going at it was just so fun so to write. Fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a blast. <laughs> yeah. Their entitlement is different. And that's what each gives them strength in that argument. And that neither one of them are going to back down because they they feel so sure about where they're coming from that it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, B understands the limitations that are put on women for no reason other than their gender. But she uses that knowledge to her benefit to get what she wants. Um, I wanted to read... I have real. I think I referenced this twice in in other episodes already. I haven't stopped thinking about this section since I read it. A show of temper could only be deployed in a relationship at moments when the other party would find it endearing and cute, believing their partner is a spitfire or a spark plug or a pistol or some other terrible turn of phrase reserved exclusively for women who openly share their opinions. I mean, that is. I really haven't stopped thinking about that section, and. <laughs> These kind of biting insights are what make the novel really come alive. They make you think you're like, do I agree? Do I not agree with, you know, everything she's doing and using? And it's like, do you hate the player? Do you hate the game? What, you know, where, where do I fit here? Um, So I wanted to know how you got that voice right. You said it came to you early, but did you have, you built so much nuance into what she's doing. Yeah. I think B says a lot of things that maybe we think some of the time, whether we 100% agree with it all the time is situational. But I think, you know, B just has one view of the world pretty much. And so I leaned into those impulses for her character specifically. But there are things I write in the book where I'm like, you know, in some instances, she has a point. I mean, B's a very observant person. She watched her mother her whole life, the men her mother was with. Like, she thinks she knows the ways of the world, as it were. And she doesn't make the rules. You might not like it. I mean, there's another part where she's telling or, like, speaking in theory to this woman about the things she could do to, like, get ahead at work and how, like, looking good is perpetually (laughs) a transferable skill. (laughs) Listen, maybe it's not the moral thing or the right thing, but if you're cute at work, you tend to do pretty well in certain regards. You still have to be good at your job, especially if your bosses are all men. I just, there are some things that, like, we may not like it, but it kind of is the way it is, at least in the present moment. And I think with these character... And a lot of those observations she makes, I mean, 
my friends and I talk about this a lot. Like we grew up in the early 2000s when the perception of women at large was super specific and very harsh and kind of grim. And even though now that we're in our 30s and we know all that stuff is bullshit and not right, it still like it stays sticks with, with you. Yeah. yeah. You catch yourself like saying something shitty to yourself in the mirror or like looking at someone and like with their hair. I ju- it's just like you can't help it sometimes and you can like work to exercise those demons your whole life but because they imprinted on you at an impressionable age it sort of impacts your worldview so I think for B she just has this really like this is how it is men run this world it's a patriarchal society and I know the rules on how to win and I just have to bend them in my favor as best I can and if you don't do that then you're a fool it's sort of like what she yeah that's what makes it so exciting to watch her I like yeah. her big swings and her ambition. Like yes. that's what yes. I really yes. love about me. And what I like about female characters, I like I've always say I'm very attracted to villains in stories. And I don't think it's because I relate to their, you know, malicious intent, but I just <laughs> like watching someone know what they're doing, what they're going for, their motivations are clear, and they're just gonna do whatever they can to get it. And that is more exciting to watch than I don't know, someone's drunk or on pills or a mess. Like, I, I mean, I like reading and watching those things sometimes too, but I don't know. I just relate to someone that like kind of always had the number of the people or where I was trying to go. And I just like characters that go for it and make very active decisions. Yes. <laughs> active. Yes. yes. So let's talk about B and Colin. Um, mm-hmm. She is conning him, but there is a genuine connection there, at least for someone unable to truly connect with people, given her childhood. Um, but, you know, it's certainly not a sweet romance. But Colin's love for B helps her love herself. So what were you hoping to explore with those two, with their relationship? Yeah, I really like Colin for as goofy as he is. I love that he is sweet to be. I love that he stands up to his family for maybe the first time ever in her honor. Mm-hmm. I think B brings more to the table for Colin in some ways uh, than the other way around. But um, like you said, I think she grows in part of her growth in the story, I think does have a lot to do with to Colin. Do with and I don't think she can fully love. Maybe she will learn to love him. I think about it sometimes, but I think she loves him to the capacity she can. She can. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't want to write in the same way that I treat the women characters in my novel. The men are more afterthoughts. They're not as much the center of the story, but I still wanted them to feel real and three-dimensional as well and not necessarily entirely evil. (laughs) Because (laughs) there are some men in the story that are, but for B, I think it makes sense that she would hone in on someone that treats her really well and, Maybe it's because he's easily manipulated or whatever. But I do think whether she would admit it to herself or not, she sees a lot of his lovely qualities in addition to giving, like, burning him often during the course of the story. I like <laughs> yeah. the subtle burns of, like, his hair, haircuts and how he dressed and stuff yeah. like that. But generally, like, I care so much for B, and I wanted her target to be someone that cared for her in return. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and and you just you get the sense that he has his limitations, but he has a good character. And you're right. It, it's it's someone B deserves in in some ways. So yeah, I like I like Colin, and yeah. it's funny because like I started out making him like really really dopey, and then I was like, that's not as exciting, and. 
And yeah. truthfully, Colin and his mother may or may not have been influenced by a past relationship, but it's oh, terrible. I love that. So once I got like that out of my system and went back and like really like uh, beefed both of those characters up, also Colin's mother, Haven, um, they became like entirely different people because I just think things aren't so black and white and cut and dry, even with someone that's like super rich, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stories now taking down the 1% and rightfully so. I enjoy them. We all love succession and the menu and all those things. Mm -hmm. But I think in reality, people are more complex than that. And if you are born into like the case, the cases are meant to be like, I don't know, Kennedy's or the Johnson and Johnson family. Like, I mean, these are people that have been born into this kind of money. How in touch can we expect them to be? (laughs) And rich people have been around since like the dawn of civilization. They're always going to be here. So I just feel like, I don't know. Is it a takedown? Not really. It's more just like an exploration because I just find it all so fascinating. It's just yeah. like you're born into an entirely different life circumstance from most people. Right. So like what's going on in there? And that's kind of why I approached B from this like anthropological lens as well. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. And it's everything's a takedown when it's through B's lens, yes. right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So, but otherwise, you know, you did. And the, I love the sibling dynamic. That was a little successionist. And that's... <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter how powerful or rich your family is, your siblings are always going to trigger things in you. And so that yes. was great, too. I loved those little I love the case sisters. There are fun things about, there's some tertiary characters that I really love in the story and obviously just can't give them as much real estate. But um, Calliope is one of them. And then also Ren Daly, the fitness influencer, who just yeah. like appeared when I was writing one day. And I was like, oh, you're fun. You can stay. You can stay. <laughs> oh, I love that. made her a sacrificial lamb for B. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. So we always talk about astrology on this podcast. And you gave us gold in this book because you gave us the astrological signs for not only one but two of our main characters and that's we need just more of that in all of our books gail is a lot easier for our discussions gail is a pisces a sign that b describes as shifty people with little control over their emotions loved it and colin is a virgo who she calls my kind of guy he has a crushing need to be seen as perfect which is exactly the type of pressure i want a man to feel in my presence so good. Yeah, so good. So tell us about your connection to astrology, whether you oh, agree sure. with B on any of these. And of course, we need to know your sign. Yes, I think astrology is super fun. I mean, I'm not someone that like lives and dies by it, but I definitely have a strong interest in it. And it's funny because my husband will be like, you have a very strong interest in it because he remembers that was like what, one of the first questions I asked him was like, when's your birthday? And it wasn't because oh. I wanted to know birthday. I wanted to know yes. sign. But the Virgo stuff is funny because prior to me, my husband, my previous four guys I dated were Virgos, September 7th, September 8th, September 8th, September 9th. So when what? Charles, I know, super weird. So I met Charles and I was like, what's your birthday? I was like, please, please don't please say don't September. Don't. And he was a Leo. And I was like, wow, that's exciting. Yes. For Sorry. Um, that is yeah. so much better than a Virgo. I'm just saying <laughs> from, from a Leo, I'm just saying. <laughs> Spoken like a cheerio. Yes, <laughs> And what's funny is I really like Virgo women, but I just had like some Virgo men stuff, I guess mm-hmm. I had to work out. Oh, and yeah. Pisces, I stay with love because I do have some girlfriends that are Pisces, but they're waterworks and all over the place. And so I, Gail to me felt like she could be a Pisces. 
And for B, like, we don't know her zodiac sign because she doesn't really know her birthday. But my best guess is she's a Scorpio. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that, sounds, that sounds very accurate. Very I accurate. think she's a Scorpio like me. And then... Um, oh, like oh, you, you too. You're oh, yeah, a Scorpio. Yes. Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it. Fantastic. And I was saying, I, someone asked me this question, which character I relate to. And I actually responded like Zodiac sign. So I said <laughs> that I'm a bee sun, I'm a cell rising, and I'm a calliope oh, moon. Oh my god, that is so good! Wait, Sil Moon? No, Sil Rising. Sil Rising. I think oh I present god. like Sil. Yes, I love um, that. B is my sun, sun, and my moon is Calliope, because oh she's my. wild and crazy. That is brilliant. <laughs> Holy... But what is your actual, you personally, your rising oh, yeah. moon? Yeah. My rising sign is Aries, and my oh. moon sign is Leo. So oh I feel god. like it's pretty true to form. I, that is uh, too funny. So I I'm an Aries like sun, is, and Kate is Air, uh, Leo moon and Leo sun. Oh, yeah. wow. We're yeah. all connected. We got a little fire buffet going here. Yeah, really? Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's why at the beginning, before we started, that, this is what I wanted to ask you. Just even from the first few minutes, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I got to know her sign. I got to know yeah. her sign. Yeah. Oh, I love That's it. So, so you good. have, yeah, your husband's right. You have more than just a... Interest. Yes, it's, 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 it's true. I guess what I'm saying though is like I'm not like right. I like know. I don't go out on a yeah. you know right. retrograder through the bad forecasts. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You still have to live. Exactly. <laughs> oh God, I love that. I love still that. have to live. Oh, oh. so good. Um, so I read on your bio. I just have to ask you about this. I love country music. I love Katie Segal. I saw that you wrote an original country music horror film. I've yes. watched the trailer. I now have to watch the movie. What is this? This is so amazing. And tell oh me about God. this. I'm so, I love Torn Hearts so much. Yes, and Torn Hearts. What a journey. It was like, it was this weird idea I had for a long time. And I would talk about it in meetings. I'm like, well, I got this idea for, you know, it's it's set in the world of country music, but it's, scary. I also want to write the song. So, but it's not a musical because they're not like singing at each other. They're just like performers. And mm-hmm. it's like if Quentin Tarantino and Dolly Parton made a movie, it's like, how oh, I would pitch it. Yes. <laughs> and then um, I was like, okay, I think I have to just like sit down and write this. So I wrote the script. I wrote the songs and the, the, where it came from. Honestly, so I used to, I'm from Chicago and I lived there for a while with my best friend and we used to take these road trips to Nashville cause we love country music and we would just have the best time. And she, she looks like me. We're just like these bubbly blondes. And I used to say, God, it's too bad. Neither one of us can sing or play instruments. Cause we'd be the cutest little country duo. Yeah. Exactly. And we just like laughed and laughed. And then I don't know, we got back from one of these trips and we were texting and probably about some dumb guy. And something auto-corrected to Tattered. And we were like, LOL, Tattered Hearts. Like, that's the name of our country band. So the script in the movie was initially called Tattered Hearts, but some some legal reason we couldn't use it. So it switched to Torn Hearts when the movie actually got produced. But Blumhouse bought it, which is where, when you write a scary movie, exactly where you want to sell right. it. And they attached Katie Segal, and it went into production. And then it was released just last year in May. So it's streaming on Amazon Prime right now, I believe. Um, but yeah, it, it was really exciting to see that come to life. Because it was yeah. such a weird idea for my brain. <laughs> like, you Those are the best ideas. Some, yeah, some quite some dreams come true kind of moments this year, or I guess this period of time. That's amazing. Yeah. 
I feel like I've planted a lot of seeds over the years and now everything's really starting to pop, which is so exciting. Oh, that is. So I want to ask you a little bit about screenwriting to novel writing. Like what helped you writing this novel? What skills? You said you, you your first drafts were really sparse. That, mm-hmm. that was picked up from screenwriting. And then what what did you have to unlearn when you were novel writing? Right. I feel like screenwriting definitely made me a better novelist for sure because I just had already had a really good sense of pacing and story and the beats you're supposed to hit to, you know, get emotional response from your readers and just make sure that all of those metrics are met that make a good story. Because I feel like if I had just started writing this before screenwriting, I feel like it would have felt like a one woman show for a while. Because <laughs> I, I liked writing so much as B that I think I could wax on about anything in her voice. So I kind of liked that I already knew all right, if we're going to tell her story, where exactly are we going? So I am someone that outlines, but I'm not a robust outliner because just part of my process is I discover things as I'm actually writing and I want to leave room for those discoveries because a lot of times they are game changing and really fun and I can't seem to plan for them when I'm outlining. They're just things that come to me in the writing process that I won't think about when I'm outlining. And then there's just, you have way more real estate with a novel, which I found so liberating. So it's not that I had to unlearn anything from screenwriting. I just got to like open up Pandora's box, as it were. I can talk about more about what people are wearing, what they're listening to. I mean, being in her head, like all of that interiority that I love to write, you can't put that in a script. It's not exciting to watch. So um, just being able to kind of be the director of the book, right? Like I get to be costume design, sound, I'm in charge of the whole show, um, which I really liked. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Speaking of things you like, we always have to ask, uh, Mm -hmm. what are you loving? I mean, are are there books, movies, TV shows, podcasts? Yeah. We could talk about the country music you love because I'm a huge (laughs) fan, but Corinne will want to shoot us, so we'll... We'll stick to other things. Polarizing genre, but I know what's not to like about songs about drinking, having fun, falling in love, murdering your husband. Yes, (laughs) I don't get it. I'm with you. I'm with you. But anyway, um, books I've read recently. Oh, I just finished The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis, and I really liked it. Um, Um, For as long as it was, I was really compelled the whole time. And it just, it checks a lot of boxes as far as like, I love when things take place in LA in like the seventies and eighties about like teenagers running wild. Like that just checks a lot of the boxes that I like when I'm reading. Um, I've been on a celebrity memoir kick. I did, I did spare, um, which I enjoyed. I preferred the palace papers as far as like Royal biographies, but um I read Mean Baby, Selma Blair's book, which I really loved. And then I just finished the Pamela Anderson documentary. So I went out to pick up her book because I think she is, speaking of complicated women, just like so cool. And I love that she's telling her story and she seems like such a great person. Her sons are so sweet. Like I just... I've always liked her, but I came away liking her even more. So I'm excited to read. Her I book. know very little about her, and there's just so much buzz around this, and it feels yeah. like very genuine buzz, not marketing yeah. influenced buzz. Like yeah. people are talking about it, and I saw on comments by celebs they had she had a post about her documentary, and then both of her sons were like, "So proud of you, love you, yeah, go they're mom. So, so sweet, sweet. like." Yeah. It's like um, she's obviously a very good mother. Like she raised such yeah. like two adorable boys. Ugh. 
So yeah, I recommend it because it's a documentary, not a docu series. So you can, I think it's only like ninety minutes or something. It's, right, right. Sometimes when it's like, oh, you got to watch this thing, it's kind of no, <laughs> like, no, like, like wow. right, <laughs> a short <laughs> version. Yeah, and, and, and then and, did you guys watch the Fleischman is in Trouble adaptation? Oh, yeah, we covered that. Oh. We did recaps of that and are still talking about it. We, yeah, well, that yeah. juicy article from the Cut came out yesterday. Yeah, or the I just before, posted and, that. That was yeah. So- everyone it's got yeah. a lot of it's a, it's a discourse as they say but i really liked that book and i thought the series was really good too yeah yes. so good oh yeah we love that no so much very hearty discussion around that one and that show there was a there was so much talk around the book but the show i feel like is even more so i guess the the bigger reach but it was fantastic mm. yeah yeah i really like it claire danes can do no wrong as far oh as my I'm gosh <laughs> she's fantastic but we were mostly in like Libby. We we, we were having yes. a lot of existential discussions around <laughs> Libby's arc and Libby's character. And oh my gosh. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, for a show that's about the Fleischmans, we, yeah. were, we were very much into Libby. Yeah, yeah, no. And then, yeah, because she's the secret. Yeah it, yeah, it was just a really, um, I felt like a fresh twist on something everyone thinks they've seen before. And I just think yeah. Taffy's voice is so strong and opinionated and like has just this point of view that is like smacks you across the face and I yeah. like that whether I agree with something or not I like when someone it's like this is the story I'm telling and you're right. you're gonna read it yes <laughs> yeah and we, and we love did. that as a novelist she was not like you who is a screenwriter who a novelist who decided that she could write she wrote every episode but one and was the showrunner we're like go I, can. That, I know like that's that's amazing yeah what right so-called fox but yes. I'm really good about it <laughs> yeah love it so can you tell us anything about book two it's it's just it's done it's done no. well the first okay. draft is done yeah, but it's done. Okay. gotten really great response from my agent and my friends and my husband who is a producer and doesn't blow smoke if he doesn't like something he'll tell me which i appreciate we um, call my husband producer ian on this show so he, <laughs> he tells us straight all the time yes. he's like this was not your best work this is where you need to lean in here oh yeah I love that yeah. dynamic. Um, and I'm really excited. I don't want to say too much, but what I can say is that it is a heavily music focused, different genre from country, but it plays a big part. And it might even be a little bit spooky. <laughs> so Ooh, it's, a, okay. it's a big departure from Stone Cold Fox in terms of like, I feel like Stone Cold Fox is firmly in the like domestic suspense and how they're marketing it and all these things. And my second book is a little different from that, but it's definitely sounds like me. The women are very complicated. There's toxic female friendships. It's going to be fun. I think people will really get a kick out of it. Love that. Fantastic. I love a little taste of more when when we're just getting this. People are just, we've already read it. So people are just going to be getting their hands on Stone Cold Fox. And then there's more to look forward to. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Rachel, so much for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. We love everyone that puts astrology in their books. You go to the top of our lists immediately. So I can't wait to tell my husband that. Yes, (laughs) tell him. Tell him. Thank you so much. much. I really appreciate it. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, 
TV shows and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.